We have several passages that we'll be considering this morning, but we will begin in the book of Romans chapter 14. Book of Romans chapter 14 will be where we begin. If you want to open your Bibles there, we can begin to look at that in just a few moments. I have often said that because He is God, that whenever God speaks, we ought to listen. If He says something one time, Because of who he is, we ought to listen. However, if he says something two, three, four, five, multiple times, then we should stop everything else that's going on and focus our minds and seize upon the individual word, memorize it, ponder it, think about it, consider its meaning, And then seek to apply it in every single aspect of our lives. I say that this morning because part of what we're going to discuss and and see from the Word of God this morning is things that God has told us numerous times. In fact, Paul mentions this same aspect uh, two or three times uh, in the book of Romans. And he mentions it several more times in the book of Corinthians. And then there have been other gospel writers that also pick up on what God is trying to share with you and I this morning. We'll consider for our thoughts and times uh, together this morning a guide to making decisions to the glory of God. You ever felt like the guy standing here in front of all these signs sometimes when it comes to your spiritual life? You you just stand there and and all this, uh, do I go here, do I do this? Uh, is this the right thing to do or is this the wrong thing to do? Uh, I can't find God's will for my life. I, I wished I knew what God wanted me to do. And, and I think sometimes we, we, we stand as if God has all of these different signs and we're trying to figure out which direction do we go? Where would you have us be? What would you have us to do? I would submit to you this morning something that I've submitted to you many times before and to every church that I've ever pastored and something that I have to remind myself of constantly and that God, and that is this, that that God is not one that wants to play with our minds as it were and say, here's my will but I don't want you to find it. It's not his intention for us to stand like this guy with all of these road signs in front of us and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Now, it is true that there are many decisions that you and I make in our life, every day of our life, that the Bible is absolutely silent upon. There are several things that that the Bible does not give us clear-cut, do this or don't do that. Some of those things that people say the Bible does not speak on because the Bible hasn't got thou shalt or thou shalt not is covered in the principles of the Word of God. Just because the Bible says thou shalt not do such and such in those clear and precise words doesn't mean that we cannot find in the Word of God that those are activities that we ought not do. All right? So there are things that that we claim that the Bible is quiet on when it's really not. But actually, a lot of what you and I face every day in our life are decisions that really the Bible doesn't speak really anything about. But I want you to know this morning that God is not one that says, I'm playing mind games with you. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, I realize this is not a King James translation of this verse, but it, it, it has this idea. 
Seek his will in all you do, and he might show you which path to take. Seek his will in all that you do, and if you catch him on a good day, if he's not too busy, we know better than all that. The book of Proverbs, which by the way is an elderly Solomon that is looking at his son and saying, Son, I hope that you will hear my words because I don't want you growing up and making the same decisions I made at your age. Would to God we could get young people to understand that. They think that we say don't do and do because we don't want them to have any fun. But that's not it. Solomon's looking at his son and says, Son, I've been down this road. I was your age. I thought about my parents the way that you think about me now. <laughs> that I'm dumber than a box of rocks. But son, hear my words. Listen to the word of God. And lean not unto your own understanding. The problem with us finding God's will is not that he doesn't reveal it. Not that he doesn't let us know what it is. The problem is one of two things. Either as this verse says, we're not seeking it. Or number two, we're seeking it. But we're not listening when he reveals it. Or else, if we were seeking and listening, what does the Bible say in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 6? He will tell us. He'll tell us. Go this way, do this, do that. Now, yes, sometimes he speaks through the written word of God. Sometimes he speaks through that small, still voice that's in, within us. Sometimes he speaks to us through the, the teaching of a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or, or things of that nature. Sometimes he speaks to us through, his, uh, through other of his children. But know this, the Bible makes it very plain. If we seek God, he will be found. And that's not just for the lost person. All right? So the problem is not that we have to stand before all these signs and say, boy, I just don't know what to do. The problem is sometimes we don't even seek what he wants us to do. And sometimes we seek it, but we don't listen and we're not willing. So a guide to making decisions to the glory of God. Let's begin in Romans chapter 14. Paul's writing to the church at Rome and he says, do not, do not. Remember the times your daddy would say, do not? You understood that if you did, guess what was coming next? Why don't we treat God with the same type of, uh, of respect? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I don't know why, but for some reason, children of God have, have got it in their mind that there's no need to fear God anymore. No, you don't have to fear him in a corner like he's going to hurt you and abuse you, but... Fear him in that you respect him and that when he says do not, you say, well, then I will not. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. I just want the, the force of that statement to sink in for a minute. We often talk about God and his omnipotence and he is all-powerful. And we know that he gave a promise uh, to the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we love to talk about the promise that we can do all things through Christ. And, and we love all of those things. But hear what Paul said. Do not, and we're going to set aside for the sake of food for just a moment. Do not destroy the work of God. If I asked you this morning, could you destroy the work of God before we read this verse, I dare say that probably a large majority of us would have said what? 
No, I can't destroy the work of God. How can I destroy what God is doing? Let me remind you what the psalmist said in the book of Psalms. I believe it's the 78th Psalm when the psalmist said that they limited the Holy One of Israel. There were things that God wanted to do for Israel and they put the shackles on God. Israel handcuffed God so that God could not do what he wanted to do. It's not that God lost his power. It's not that man had any power over God. But it's that God works best when his people surrender to him. Boy, y'all are quiet this morning. If God wanted to do so much more for Israel and they handcuffed him, let me ask you this morning, is it when within the realms of possibility that God could look at Faith Missionary Baptist Church and say, oh, Faith, how I would have done so much more, but you've handcuffed me from this point. You have limited me for the last four years or you have limited me for the last six months or you limited me this Sunday because you didn't yield to my spirit. It scares me. And I think it ought to scare every child of God when Paul says, do not destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything in, is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatsoever does not proceed from faith is sin. Finding God's will is a very serious thing in our life. I don't know that you can see the wording on that. It's a little small, but here it says finding, uh, finding and following God's will is not a game. And sometimes we treat it so insignificant like a game is. I haven't been able to get the people that I umpire to understand that Little League Baseball is just a game. It's just for fun. <laughs> you have to remind them that every now and then. Uh, these coaches that y'all are hollering at, if they're making $8 million a year like a lot of coaches, okay, holler at them. But these guys are giving their own time. Don't holler at them. Don't holler at these kids. This is fun. This is a game. Let me tell you something. Finding and following God's will for our life is serious business. It's not a game, and it's not a, oh, well, I missed it this time. It is serious business. So we're going to talk about some guides. How do I make decisions so that as according to what we talked about a couple weeks ago before Easter, that I am doing all to the glory of God? That's kind of how we started a couple weeks ago, doing all things to the glory of God and, and, and involving the idea of us making decisions. So today we're going to talk about three things that will help you identify, is the decision I'm making to God's honor and glory or is it not? Number one, according to Romans chapter 14, does my decision endanger? Does my decision endanger? Now, granted, there's a lot more to these verses that we're not going to have the time this morning to go through, uh, and we'll come back and do that at a later point in time and, and delve into some more things. There'll probably be some questions that, that you have about these verses, but for time's sake this morning, let me just share with you a few things. 
Paul says in verse 20, he says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Do not endanger the work of God just because you have Christian liberty to eat a particular cut of meat. Now, a couple of weeks ago, as we introduced this series, we talked about the idea of meat that had been offered and, and sacrificed unto false gods and, and meat that was not. And, and there were those younger Christians that could not believe that they saw Jeff Chrysler over buying meat that had been offered to an idol. That's just blasphemous. How could he do that? How could he bring it home? How could he eat it? My gracious, just a little bit ago, it was being offered as a sacrifice to a false god. And what Paul is telling you is, if you eat from faith, and if you're thankful for it, you can do that. I didn't offer it as a sacrifice to the false god. I didn't worship the false god. I didn't have anything to do with that false god. All I did is say, man, I'm, I'm running a little short this week, and I can buy that meat at about 50% of the price of that meat, and, and so I can better take care of my family. And I'm not involving in that, in that false pagan religion and the bible doesn't say i can't do this in fact the bible says if i'm eating from faith and that i uh, 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 uh recognize that it's a gift from god and i thank him for it that i'm free to eat it now we love that kind of preaching and we'll amen that sometimes when i can get you stirred up a little bit We'll amen that a little bit, and, and we like to hear that because when those other people get mad at us because we've saved a little bit of money and we bought meat that offered to an idol, we like to stick it back in their face. Remember what Brother Jeff preached a few weeks back? And we like the idea, you just need to grow up, don't you? You just need to grow up and become more mature spiritually. But that's not what Paul teaches, is it? Paul says if we take that attitude, we destroy the work of God. Are you able to do it? Sure are. Paul doesn't say in verse 20 that everything in the world is, is, is permissible for me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying everything that is permissible to me, all right? But don't live in that permission and flaunt that permission and run the risk of destroying the work of God. Because let's just do an illustration very quickly. We'll just we'll pick somebody and we'll say maybe Tommy is, well, we'll let Tommy be the older mature member and I'll be the young immature member. And so I see Tommy and he's down there at the Walmart market and he's buying this meat and I get offended by it. And so when I go and I talk to Chris about it and say, Chris, you know what I saw Tommy doing? And I start telling Tommy my idea, my version What's probably going to happen is to Chris as I'm telling the story? He's, he's forming an opinion, and he is now going to begin to condemn and judge because I have probably, and y'all look at me like I'm crazy if you want to, but when I tell a story generally like y'all, I spin it to where it suits my, you know. I may not stretch it, I may not lie it, but I'm going to tell it where it supports what I think. Don't laugh at me, y'all do it too. You do. It's human nature. I'm going to tell this thing so I want Randy to agree with me, so I'm going to tell it so that I can convince him to agree with me. And, of course, you know what most Christians do? We wouldn't ever tell anybody we disagreed with them. So we just kind of act like we do, and we let them go on about their business and their error. 
in love, sometimes it's better to say, you know, Brother Jeff, you're probably not seeing that exactly right. But here is Paul saying, you run the risk. You endanger the work of God. We endanger not only the work of God, but we endanger that younger Christian. Y'all know as good as well as I do, we can put our blinders on and we can pretend it ain't so, but y'all know as good as well as I do that Faith Missionary Baptist Church is like every other church, whether it's Baptist, whether it's anything else, they got a ton of members that ain't been here in years, and it's because some member did some something. You know what I'm talking about? Every church has them. Don't fool yourself. This one does too. I used to go up there, preacher, until I saw old so-and-so doing such-and-such and saying such-and-such and going here and doing that. We endanger younger Christians. Paul says, listen, you might be free to do this. There may be no clear-cut instruction that says, do not do this. And you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, should I do this or should I do this? I had a young member one time came to me. He had been struggling trying to find a job. Bless his heart, he had tried here and there and yonder and the door got shut on him everywhere he went. And he came to me one day and he said, I was offered a job driving a Budweiser truck and delivering Budweiser. And he said, I just got a problem with it. He said, I'm not going to drink it. But I do not want people to see me getting out of that truck. And so I asked him, do you think taking that job could endanger younger children of God and the work of God? And he said, I believe it does. I said, then my advice to you, don't take the job. And it's just that plain. If we're wrestling, and do I do this, do I do that? One of the things we've got to consider, if we're going to do this, so that God gets honor and glory, does it endanger the work of God? Does it endanger younger children? Does it endanger my testimony to the lost world? And if the answer to any of that is yes, me doing this or not doing this would endanger the work of God, it would endanger a younger child of God, or it could endanger my testimony, you and I better walk away from it even if we are free to do it. Leave it alone. Because God's work is far more important than us living in the liberties that we have. I don't want to hit a political hot button. But there's a lot of stuff that's happening in our world, and especially in the United States of America. Are they free to do that? Yeah. Is it the best thing for this nation? No. The best thing for this nation is not for people to refuse to stand for the national anthem or for the flag. That's not what's best for the nation. Are they free to do it? Yes. Are they doing it to the endangerment of our nation? Yes, because we are more divided than we've ever been in our lives. Free to do it, but it may not be the best thing in the world to do. Let's move on. As we consider this, we not only want to consider are we free to do it and does it endanger? But let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. And there Paul says, all things are lawful for me. And again, he's not making the statement, everything that you can imagine is lawful. What he's saying is all the things that are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are, that are lawful for me, but I will not be 
dominated by anything. So we ask, does my decision endanger? Second of all, we want to ask, does my decision enslave? Am I free to do this? Well, I might be. But is it going to make me a slave to it? Then I will leave it be. The little saying that I put beside it, I will find new strength by evaluating my life and circumstances. I will have the courage to ask God to show me his best plan for me. Does my decision enslave? Isn't it funny? You see a lot of missionary Baptists and they talk about the evils of smoking or they talk about the evils of alcohol or the evils of drug or the evils of this or the evils of that. And not as a whole, but a lot of us missionary Baptists uh, have become enslaved to the table some, hadn't we? Uh-oh. I didn't expect any amens. It's all right. There's all kinds of things that you can become enslaved to. Some people are enslaved to, to pleasures. They just live from one to the next to the next. Some are enslaved to power. I just want that power. Some are enslaved to this, some are enslaved to the other. Paul is saying, listen, it may be legal for me to do this. It might be legal for me to go here. It might be legal for me to be involved in this. But is it going to become the master of my life? And if it is, there's a problem because as a child of God, you ought to have one master in your life. And that's God. And Paul says to the church at Corinth, and he's dealing with the same issue here with them about do I eat this meat, do I eat this meat, can I have this sexual immorality, can I not, can I go here, can I do this, uh, can I drink this, can I... Well, is it going to make a slave out of you? And if it does, leave it alone. Because if it makes a slave out of you, understand the world's going to see you become a slave to it. And now you've sent them a wrong message of the relationship that's supposed to exist between you and God. Does my decision endanger the work of God? Does it enslave me? In Hebrews chapter 12, does it entangle me? Three things. Does it endanger? Does it enslave and does it entangle? If you're looking at your clock and you're thinking it's 22 till and he's on his third point already. Therefore, according to chapter 12, verse 1. Now remind you, when you see the word therefore, you ought to ask the question, what is it there for? So chapter 12, verse 1, whatever it is that Paul or whoever the author of Hebrews is, Whatever he's about to say, he's saying because of something that he's just finished saying. Anybody remember what Hebrews chapter 11 is affectionately known as? But David, you said it. It's, it's the hall of faith or the chapter of faith. First, it defines what faith is. Faith is the substance and, and so forth. And so it defines it. And then it lays out this very important principle. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not it's difficult. Not you're going to have to work a little extra. But without faith, you cannot please God. And then it starts in and it says, this one by faith did this. And this one by faith did that. And this one by faith 
didn't get the victory in this life. This one, by faith, lost their life in claiming the promise that was in the life yet to come. But all through the rest of the chapter, it is the victory of faith. Let me ask you this. Are, are we experiencing the victory of faith? How many victories in faith have you individually claimed this week? And how many as a church are we literally laying claim to? How many victories this week? Now, all of that being said about faith, this one did this and this one did that and that one did that, and several that went on to be with the Lord instead of receiving the, the securing or the, the fulfillment of our promise here in this life. Because he said that in verse 11, now he says, because of that, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I, I just got a few things I want to share with you, and then I, I'm going to close with an illustration this morning to hopefully help us see this. Because we see so great a cloud, uh, the word compass, we are surrounded by such a great cloud. And he just talked about all those people in chapter 11. And by the way, this word cloud, for those of you who like to do some word study, it's slightly different than the normal word for cloud. It's, it's, it's related to it. It comes from the same word stem, but it's a little bit different. You see, the normal word that's found in the Word of God for cloud refers to that singular cloud that you can see the outlined dimensions of it very clearly. You got that vision, that one puffy cloud. This word is kin to that, but it doesn't refer to that singular puffy cloud that all the outlines are readily defined and you see it amidst the blue sky. This word is kin to that, but it's talking about cloud in such a nature that the whole day has become overcast. And I think it's important to understand that. that the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, child of God, you live in 2019 and in your Yonder in glory in heaven is such a group of people that have walked this life like you have, and they are there now, and they're cheering you on. Don't get the idea that there's a, a handful of people here as a cloud, and over here is another handful of people. No, what he's talking about is the day has become overcast. There's no break in the clouds. And what he's trying to get us to understand is sometimes we think we're the only ones in life that has to walk the valley we're walking. We think we're the only ones that have to suffer for God the way we're suffering. Or we think we're the only ones that's ever faced difficulty. And what he's saying is look yonder through the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and into glory and understand that there is an unbreakable mass of people. And they are watching you. And they're remembering the trials they went through and got the victory over. And they see you, they see you, for lack of a better term, wimping out. They see you afraid to stand for God. 
They see you being contented so that you're not reaching out anymore and you're not gaining the victories of faith. They see you and they're wondering, why are they not following the way that we did? But they are there, and, and Paul says they are encouraging us. They are cheering us on just by their presence, knowing that they made it through. I love all three of the verses, but the last verse of the song I asked Chris to sing this morning is my absolute favorite. Y'all, there will come a day. There is coming a day when the king of glory is going to be revealed as the king of glory. No longer will they laugh at him. No longer will the child of God suffer, punish, uh, uh, suffer persecution for being a child of God. No longer will it be unpopular and, 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 and to be looked down upon to, lame, na uh, to name the name of Christ. There's coming a day. Y'all, we got to push through this one to get to that one. But we're not pushing very hard. We're letting the world push us into silence. Instead of pushing back on this world and say, you will not stop me from claiming the name of Jesus Christ. There is such a cloud, uh, cloud of witnesses. And so he says, here's what you ought to do. You're deciding whether you ought to do this or not. Ask yourself, does it endanger, does it enslave, or does it entangle? I was trying to figure out, how could I illustrate this? He says, do not, do not let things entangle as you run this race of life. The word that is used there for race is not the 100-yard dash. It's not a sprint. The word that is used here refers to that marathon that you run for hours and hours and hours. I, physically, I don't understand such a thing. If I can outrun a bear for a long enough period of time, he's going to get tired, and then I can get tired and quit running. That's physical. But the author here is talking about spiritual. And we just keep running and running and running in this race. But he draws this physical picture to illustrate a spiritual truth for us. So let me see if I can help us this morning understand a little bit about what he's talking about. I'm going to run a marathon. But I'm thinking, you know what? I'm just not very, I'm not very good on my feet. I mean, I can, I can walk down this aisle and trip and fall all over everywhere. And when I trip and fall, I forgot I had my boots on. Maybe this won't work. When I trip and I fall, it is ugly. And, and, and I can't do it gracefully. And I wonder how many people saw me. And so I, I decided that if I'm going to run this marathon, perhaps... Maybe I needed to wear something that would help me protect my shins from getting hurt. I'm not going to put the other one on. You get the idea. So I decided, well, before I run this race, I'm going to make sure that if I fall, I don't skin my knee up. But then I got to thinking, you know, the route that we're going to run, I probably got low limbs everywhere. And who knows what may happen. I know David Tate, and he likes to win. I saw it when he tried to jump a couple weeks ago and out-jump everybody else. And he probably will push me down. See? 
He thinks that it's okay for him to do that, that he's at liberty, but it endangers me, and so he ought not do that. But I've decided, you know what, I, I, I don't want to run the risk of falling and getting my chest, my belly all skinned up, my shoulders. And so I'm going to wear this on my journey too. And I, Oh, but I, I said something about low-lying limbs too, didn't I? Well, that's all right, I got something to take care of that too. Now I don't have to worry about the limbs. But as I'm running this race, and I'm realizing that we still have some cool nights, I'm like, well, you know, if I get cold, I want to make sure that I can stay warm, so I'm going to wear this while I run my marathon. All right, I think I'm ready. My face is protected, my chest is protected, my shoulders, my shins, my knees, my legs. I'm ready to go. Let's run this race now. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know that I'm really ready to do that. You see, I may run into Brother Bill Wright, and he may want to shoot around a golf. So I'm going to take my golf clubs with me. Who knows? The course that we're going to run on this life may lead us right beside a beautiful golf course. It'd be a shame if I saw Brother Bill and he said, hey, come shoot around with me. I ain't got my clubs. So I'll take care of that. I'll just take my clubs with me. And this serves as a twofold purpose. You see, now I don't have to pack a toothbrush. I got a brush to clean my ball and my club head, and I can just use that on my teeth then, too. Now I think I'm ready to go. Ready to go right now. I thought of something else. No, I didn't bring my fishing pole. But I got to have a map so I know the course. And obviously, I'm not going to get hurt in this race, am I? I'm pretty well covered. But Brother Jimmy's running the race and he might get hurt. So let me put some bandages and some ace wrap and, and I got all kinds of medical stuff in here and I got my map and I needed water, so I brought some water and I think I'm ready now. Now, I don't want to do it, but I can run a hundred yards right now if I have to. Y'all, I don't want to run the rest of my life toting all this stuff around. You see what I'm saying? And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying. Guys, we're not talking about running a race to win the prize of man. We're talking about spiritually run the race. And what's at stake is the honor and the glory of the one that died on the cross for us. And what's at stake is the thousands now, probably couldn't say this a few years ago, but the thousands now that live in Arkadelphia that do not know Christ as their personal Savior. That's what's at stake. And we're running a race, a marathon, and we're entangled by all of this junk. And we can't run. Those in chapter 11 that ran the race and won, it's because they didn't have all this entangling junk on them. You remember the last example that it gives us there on that, on in that text? Who was the last example? Look at it. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Who's the last example? He begins by saying, wherefore, because of all those in chapter 11 that have done this, but then as he comes to the end, who does he use as an example for us? 
Who? Y'all aren't going to answer me. It's Christ. It's Christ. In that song, I asked Christy to sing, the scriptural part of it is there. Father, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to run this race. I mean, that's what he's saying. I don't want to run the race. It is before me. If there's any other way that we can get to the finish line, Father, and we don't have to run on this course, well, let's go that route. That's what the man Jesus said. But the spiritual part of him said, that's my race, and I got to run it. And so anything that would entangle me and slow me down and not allow me to run that race, I got to get rid of it right now. Right here in this garden, I got to pray, Father, help me get rid of all the stuff that's entangling me. If Jesus had to pray such a prayer, will you agree with me and trust me when I tell you, you and I need to pray a prayer like that pretty regularly too? If he had to pray it, you better know you and I need to pray it from time to time. Can I do this? Yeah, you might can. But is it going to endanger the work of God? Is it going to endanger a weaker child? Is it going to endanger your testimony? Is it going to enslave you so that no longer are you allowing God to control your life, but this is now control of your life? And that doesn't have to be just, like I said, drugs or alcohol. It can be contentment, power, whatever it is. And then finally, I might be free to do this. But is it going to entangle me and lessen my ability to run this race? Faith, we're coming back to what we talked about several weeks ago. It's a matter of life and death for us, and it really is. We'll come back to that. I'm not abandoning that. We're just taking a break for a little while. But I'm serious. Would you ask yourself this morning... Have we been claiming the victories of faith? Not faith, missionary baptism, but faith and trust and obedience to God. Are we claiming the victories where we are overcoming this and that and the other by faith so that the world knows there's something real to our God and the relationship he has with their children? Father, we come to you today. I, I sometimes wonder how many young boys went with their daddy to Jerusalem with the little lamb in tow and wondered, Dad, where are we going? This, this was my favorite lamb. Why are we going to Jerusalem and, and, and why did you say the lamb wouldn't come back? And the opportunity for that dad to tell that son there will come a day when there'll be no more sacrifices needed. And as Jesus knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane, you reminded him that there will come a day when the blood stain on his hands would guarantee the victory of thousands and millions that would come to him in faith. 
Father, in this life of sin that we now live, that we've gotten too comfortable in, too contented in, and we are not claiming the victories, God, help us to realize that there's a day coming when the King of glory is going to be revealed. But Father, until that day comes, there's so much more work to be done. God, stir in our hearts, break us, make us soft and pliable. Show us the work that is before us. Help us to seek your will, to want to find your will and to follow your will with every ounce of our being. God, help us to ask, does this endanger, does this enslave, and does this entangle? We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.